Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, and observations of life written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay, and now let's say hello to our writers for today's program. Hi, this is Kathy Salzberg. Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Al Larkin. Hi, I'm Linda Doonan. Alice Judge. Hi, I'm Faith Flaherty. Hi, Steve Sherlock here. Okay, the, the title of this one is Why Dogs Are Better Than People. <laughs> I have often heard it said that a dog is man's best friend. Well, the same goes for us women, too. In fact, I've heard some women claim that dogs have some qualities they have found lacking in the opposite sex. (laughs) Over the years, some of my women customers have been only too happy to share why why their dogs do better by comparison than the men in their lives. Dogs can be trained. With men, that's not always the case. Dogs feel guilty when they get caught doing something wrong. Men, not so much. Dogs don't hide it when they are jealous, like when you go gaga about the neighbor's new puppy. Men would rather not admit it, and they tend to sulk. Dogs have no problem with public displays of affection. When they kiss you, they never give you a polite little peck. If it's not wet and sloppy, it's not a real kiss. (laughs) The worst social disease you can get from a dog is fleas, enough said. (laughs) Dogs are always happy to see you and never too busy to listen when you talk about your day. Dogs don't put you down because of the way you throw a ball. They are overjoyed that you want to play with them, even if you do throw like a girl. Dogs know what no means. Then again, some men have their reasons for thinking dogs are superior to the opposite sex as well. They have not held back in sharing their reasons why either. Dogs never make a fuss when you leave your clothes on the floor. They don't get mad if you forget their birthday. They don't pester you to go shopping with them. They don't invite their relatives over to visit. They don't expect flowers and romantic greeting cards on Valentine's Day in your anniversary. They don't expect you to call or ask you why you are late. They don't take too long in the bathroom when they put on their makeup. Dogs limit the bathroom time to a quick drink, then skedaddle. They never ask about the previous dogs in your life. <laughs> there are some areas where both dogs and men can irritate us women, like when they take all the blankets and hog the bed, or when they pass wind without any trace of embarrassment. Neither will ever understand what you see in cats. But I also think men and women could both learn some valuable lessons from their canine companions. To wit, always express your true feelings. Dogs never heard of a hidden agenda. If you're guilty and you get caught, own up to it. Learn how to look pitiful and cower with your tail between your legs. Always leave time for a good nap. Sometimes all you need to do when someone is troubled is to say nothing and just listen. Also, a good nuzzle never hurts. Mm. (laughs) So good. Excellent. Good, good. Thank you. Okay, um, my story is uh, another one of my uh, love poems. Uh, The Flame of Love. My lovely lady, so beautiful and fine. Your beauty, your grace... Oh, please be mine. 
My feelings go on, it's hard to deny. I feel so happy and I know why. I don't need to talk, my feelings will speak. Without the words, your love I seek. Like the beautiful sunshine on a spring day. Your beauty shines, my love will stay. The chirping birds sing their songs of joy. I feel so happy, like a little boy. You have such style, you have such grace. The rain pours down upon your face. The sun will rise, the sun will set. When I'm with you, I'm happy we met. I love you so much, I can't let you go. I feel so happy, I want you to know. You're like an itch that I can't scratch. You're my sweet love, a perfect match. The flame of love burns soft and low, but my sweet darling, our love will grow. The flame of love forever will burn. The time will come when it's our turn. I say good night, but it's not goodbye. When we are together, the time will fly. And, and I sent it to her, and she, and she said it was very beautiful. Oh, good. Nice. <laughs> well done, Bill. Yes. Very well. Some very minor differences from the time we heard it before, but I think it improves in that very yeah, minor bit, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. I have something from the past, and uh, first a new radio audience and, peop and people who, uh, you know, might not have heard it uh, here. A true story, I swear it's true, has an ending that's uh, quite unique. And the title is My Guardian Dear. The guardian angel prayer I learned as a child was an act of faith and of great consolation to me or anyone who might recite it for our protection. It was called Angel of God, and it went like this. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom his love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light and guide, to rule and guide, amen. The children's prayer, Angel of God, required a childlike faith, which I said many times throughout my life, and it's one that gave me a sense of hope that involves the mystery of angels and whether someone is looking after me. This may require that anyone counting on this believes in angels and spirits in the first place. I know in my own life where events are somehow not logical or rational to explain for someone who needs answer, this story may create more questions than answers. Yet for me, even though a mystery, it may tell me something that may not be clear to others. I still believe in angels and other dimensions in our existence. What happened one morning was very telling in this regard. My angel story begins with the circumstances that brought it about when the guitar player of our church choir asked me if I wanted a job. It was as a limo driver for Boston Coach, which was part of Fidelity Corporation. Dennis, his name, was a production designer for commercials and was now driving, driving now for extra cash. And he would get $500 if I took the job. I had been retired for about two years now and was getting a little bored. But I liked to drive and I knew my way around the Boston area so I said yes. After two weeks training, I got started picking up their finance people and clients at home 
airports, hotels, commercial sites, and then taking them to the next destination. As chauffeurs go, this was a classy bunch who took pride in the way they looked and performed. We had to provide our own blue blazer, charcoal gray trousers, and a white shirt, while Boston Coach was generous enough to supply a striped red tie. <laughs> there was a lot of professionalism on the job with disciplines in driving, being prompt, and customer courtesies. You could be assigned to drive very important clients, including Mr. Johnson, the head of the Fidelity Corporation. There were many drivers, including a few women. At Logan Airport in Boston one day, a curious member of the FBI approached a few of our drivers who were standing together chatting. They were waiting for their passengers to arrive, and he asked them, who are you guys? An impressive-looking group, no doubt. The experience was good, and I met some very interesting people, but not as interesting as what happened one early morning on the way to work. The afternoon before this particular morning, I noticed the inspection sticker on my black Chrysler sedan had expired. So I thought, I better take my wife's silver Sonata in the morning, as her inspection sticker was okay. The next morning, I took my wife's silver car, and about 4.30 a.m., while it was still dark, I was on my way to pick up the limo that I would be using that day and my assignment. I come up to a red light in a small town of Massachusetts called Ashland. Just before my light changed to green, police car pulled up to an orange light, an orange light just off to my right. He stopped for the red as my light turned green. I then proceeded through the green light, and as soon as I cleared the intersection, the police car came right up behind me with flashing lights for me to pull over, which I did. I had no idea what I may have done as the policeman got out of his car. The officer came up to my passenger side, and as he came by the window, I let it down and said, is there anything wrong, officer? He said, no. As he looked in the direction of my sticker and said, I thought your sticker may have expired. I'm thinking, you're kidding. As he walked away, I'm saying, whoa, huh? I don't believe it. This is far out. I thought to myself, does this have anything to do with angels? Starting down the road, I found myself giving praise and thanks to God in wonder and amazement, knowing now that he is somehow in everything. A line from the poem, Ever this day, be at my side. Reflections on this mystery of what happened are beyond explaining, except for the one it means the most to. Maybe one of those expressions of, you had to be there might help, but no, it's deeper than that. Could it just be a case of childlike faith that believes in the presence of angels who do even direct the steps of a police officer to say, I'm at your side? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Premonition wow. pays yeah. off there. I know. Mm. So when did you get the sticker for your other car? As soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't stopped on your way. 
Oh no, I had my wife's car. No, no, no. So anyway, he just made a mistake. Yeah. The, oh no, yeah. and, and, you, and that's okay anyway if you are. You're on the way. Oh, right. okay. You that's know. right. Oh, you can say that at any time. <laughs> uh, not at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. Their presence can distract us. They quickly take us away for a moment of time in our lives. We see them everywhere, on the roadways, backyards, on top of flagpoles, or as close as porch railings. Many a person has written about birds, and so shall I join them. There is vari uh, variety, color, shape, and size. Man, too, comes in variety, color, shapes, and size. I have a friend who delights in moments of solitude to observe birds in a bird bath. She holds a breath not to disturb the frolic of the birds at their play. Shall we hold our breath longer and observe the wonder we have seen? I think of Thoreau, who reclused in Walden Pond. In his day, he was an educator, a poet, a naturalist, and considered nature, birds, and issues of the day. I thank artisans of the day for the storyteller, for the musicians, the poets, who distract us from our day, and those who help us appreciate the wonders of this world. I consider men at this time. Have we not taken more time to think of the future and think of the long term, what we have done to this earth? If we could only appreciate our differences and collaboratively and collectively to build a new world in a direction for all mankind. Let us pray. Mm. Yeah. Poetry. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. A lot to consider. What observations. Very well done. I was just going to... Mm-hmm. All set, Alice? Sure. This is something that I hear you perhaps have heard, but maybe I haven't uh, had it on the radio. So he goes... You do need to know the language. There was no way the tour group would believe I hadn't gotten lost. The year was 1972 when Leo and I walked down the aisle, a windy September day, but we didn't go on our honeymoon until two weeks later, our destination, Munich, Germany, for the Oktoberfest. Munich was a child's scrubbed face, clean and bright, the people dressed in festive Bavarian garb, friendly, and the beer, so much a part of German's culture, cold and flowing abundantly. A few days after our arrival, Leo and I joined a tour from our hotel that was going to the opening festivities of the Oktoberfest, which started with a parade. I need to preface my story at this time by saying that I had many cups of coffee in anticipation of the crisp day ahead. We arrived at the parade and all of us were seated in bleachers. Gorgeous, colorful Morgan horses lined up for participation in the parade. I marveled at their size. They held their head proud as if acknowledging their superiority. Meanwhile, colorful jugglers entranced, dancers performed, synchronized military marched by. The parade was fun, but halfway through, I needed to find a ladies' room. 
Leo, my new husband, who promised to love, cherish, and obey, never leave me, was intent on watching the parade, and chose not to accompany me. So mentally taking stock of where I was, I set off on my journey. Leo had bought a German-American dictionary prior to our trip and had been practicing with great pride. I hadn't felt it necessary. My mistake. Toiletten, I said. I asked, toiletten? They simply shook their head. I walked and walked. My plight caused me to eye the huge shrubs in back of the vendors selling anything from ice cream to the delicious knockwurst I had already sampled since arriving. I did find a public toilet, but the ladies' room was locked. The men's room had a steady stream of customers. I contemplated going in when the coast was clear, but decided against it lest a photographer from the local newspaper put me on the front page as an ugly, ugly American. I finally came upon a pretty young girl with a pleasing smile, prompting me to ask, Toiletten? To which she replied, I'm sorry, I don't understand German. Imagine her surprise when I said, neither do I, do you know where there's a bathroom? <laughs> Discouraged, I decided to walk back to the tour. I turned the corner when I saw my group. Leo was talking to a police officer. Everyone on the bleachers stared at me as my new husband rushed up to me. They had a silly, amused look on their faces. I had been found. I came back. The people on the tour labeled me as lost, a casualty of the outing. I could deal with them later. I had a bigger problem. The cops showed me a restaurant in back of the bleachers, and I used their facilities. For the rest of the trip, whenever I saw anyone from our hotel who had been on our tour, they had a smug look on their face. I was a honeymooner who got lost. I can tell you, though, by the time I left Germany, I knew how to ask for the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes, indeed. The simple lessons required. <laughs> yeah, and it was right in back of the bleachers. How do you think of that? <laughs> how do you like that? And how do you ask for it in German? Well, I think it's pretty, uh, well, you can ask me now. This happened in, this happened in 1972. <laughs> Time enough to forget. Yeah. Mm. Okay, before I begin mine, I have to ask your indulgence because all my life, and that's 75 years, um, I've had trouble saying the word B-O-W. Oh. When it should be bow, I say bow. When it should be bow, I say bow. Right. Even B-O-U-G-H, I still bow, bow, I still get it. So in this, when I come to the word bow or bow, I am going to change it to cow so that I will just have to get it off my mind and I can concentrate on my delivery of yes. the story. Right. Yeah, yes. but replace cow with bow or bow, whatever's a, whatever it should be. I don't know why I have that mental problem, but I am... Could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. My husband and I celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary earlier this month. 
As an anniversary present, one of our daughters gave us tickets for a sunset cruise on La Liberté, a schooner that cruises Vineyard Sound. Sounds wonderful. And it was. Surprisingly, though, the hit of the cruise was the passengers. We had two bachelorette parties, among the other guests. <laughs> These young ladies were bringing their brides-to-be friends on the cruise. Consequently, the mood was gay and celebratory. Once out of Falmouth Harbor, all six sails were hoisted. La Liberté is a 72-foot schooner, which the captain tried to explain to us landlubbers, but it was hard to hear him over the wind and the sails flapping and the mirth of young ladies giggling and shrieking with laughter. Mm. But I did learn the answer to some questions I've always been perplexed by. Cape Cod is shaped like a bended arm, with Falmouth and Mashpee being the shoulder and Wellfleet and Provincetown being the fist. Yet, Falmouth and Mashpee are called Upper Cape and Provincetown and Wellfleet Lower Cape. That's right, the exact opposite of what you would think when you look at a map, which shows Provincetown higher than Falmouth. The Lower Cape is actually higher than the Upper Cape on the map. Why, any thinking person would ask. The answer has to do with the wind. Sailors sail upwind to get to Falmouth and downwind to get to Provincetown. By the way, that's also why going to Maine is called Down East. Oh. It all has to do with sailing in the wind. I learned all this while watching the sunset as we sailed at a good tack between Martha's Vineyard and Woods Hole and Falmouth. Then suddenly an ominous cloud arose over Martha's Vineyard and it was all too soon hastening towards us. Would this turn into a dark, stormy night? <laughs> The captain directed our attention to the formation and explained that he expected this. The weatherman predicted a foggy night, and La Liberté is equipped with radar and GPS. It didn't take long for us to be in the thick of it. Soon we were surrounded by gray sea and sky. We could see neither the stern nor the cow of the schooner. The drunks never noticed. Now, my family has owned sailboats for over 20 years. We love the fact that sailboats are quiet, serene, and peaceful. But now, when the drunks had calm moments, it was nice and peaceful with the breezes cooling us off from the humidity. But in this thick super fog, it was eerie, quiet, ominous, and creepy. Until the drunks' shrieks of laughter broke the sinister mood. <laughs> we all looked around at each other and joined in the gleeful merriment with relief. This was fun, an adventure, a story in the making. Soon we heard the buoy bell and saw the light from Nopska Lighthouse. And within 10 minutes, we dropped the sails and turned on the motor to sail between the red and green lights marking the entrance to Falmouth Harbor. Mm. Our captain was an experienced sailor. We were impressed with how skillfully the schooner was quickly docked alongside the pier. The goodbyes were cheery, and the young ladies invited us all to follow them to Liam McGuire's to continue the gaiety. But hubby and I are simple old folk, <laughs> and after a few Cape Codders and a swaying, rolling, and pitching cruise, we were looking forward to lights out. Because old sailors never die, they simply return to port. <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh.
Telling yourself. Lovely. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Wonderful story. <clears throat> and as I was thinking of the suggestion, you could call, usually, a, especially on a schooner, although larger sailing vessels, usually have a figurehead at the front. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh. you can refer to that as, and thereby avoid the bow bow. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a figurehead. <laughs> well done. At least I don't it's, think at least they it's in the just front. a straight. <laughs> no, you know what do you call that thing that you stand out there? Because we were told not to go out there. Right. Even yeah. though it looks like um, there's a word for it, but I can't. Yeah, think yeah. It's the Titanic where you stand out there right. like this. Oh, yeah. 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 So picking up on the dark and stormy night, yeah. some had heard that I had done part one. And then over the 4th of July weekend, I finished and got part two and oh. part three. So I also renamed it so it's Fret Factors, or variations on a theme of a dark in stormy night. Part one. She still worries when I go for my night walk, even if just in our neighborhood where there is little traffic. Most folks are usually home by this time. There is little movement on the road. Even the wildlife is resting. Plenty of road to share in this uncertainty coming out of the pandemic, wondering what the new normal might be. Striding along, streetlights start the shadow races. The blackest black bleeds to gray as the light shifts from back to front. As the light shifts, the shadow dims, decides to go the other way, leaving you alone for a time. Navigating the curve, it's dark, harder to see, Harder still when in this midpoint between two poles. This streetlight works, sorta. It slowly comes on, building brightness, widening its circle of light. It reaches as far as it can, stays for a bit, only a bit, and then abracadabra, the cone of light disappears. Then I'm back to navigating the curve of the road, walking on a dark and stormy night. Mm. Part one. This is part two. Upon entry, I was greeted with a problem to solve immediately. Whether it was the toilet clogged, or the TV remote not working, or somebody had called and wanted something needed to be done right now, that was always more important than, welcome home, how was your day? <laughs> so we learned how to dive right in to what was a dark and stormy night. We left behind whatever else was in the current thought stream. Forgot about the radio news, the songs, last notes, or the podcast, Voice of Reason, or whatever happened at work that day. There was barely time to put down my bag, take off my coat, before jumping into the problem of the night to try and make sense of the issue at hand. Then to step back, gather the tools required, maybe it needed the plunger, maybe new batteries, or make the phone call. Sometimes it could be quick work to bring light and dispel the darkness. A plunge or two to clear away the clog. The batteries returned functionality. The status lights came on. The channel or volume would change properly. Sometimes it took a longer, took a little longer to make sense of the stormy issue. Then it was as if we had never left the current. We weren't in a river of dreams. The islands in the streams just slipped by. Some when, somewhere, somehow, those news bits, notes of the melody, or vices, voices of insight would come forward to play. Maybe not today, 
or tomorrow, but someday. Part 3. It was a dark and stormy night. The creek flowed by steadily. At first, it seemed only the creek noise. Then a flash lit the sky, thunderclaps rolling along the creek. The rains followed, gentle rain at first, then steady buckets, a soaking rain. It was a good rain. It was needed. The trees and the grasses welcomed it. Another flash broke the dark. What were they thinking of doing it all at once? The storm wouldn't last. The clouds and rain would roll away. The thunder would become a distant echo. The rains, too, would pass. In a few hours, daylight would creep over the ridge, chasing the night away. It was time to write. Lasso harnessed those images, thoughts all too briefly, illuminated before they flowed away. Rolling over bedside, opening the pad, scribbling the translations as they appeared, images to words, would others follow along? That is the challenge. We hope to raise enough interest, use enough of their words to recreate the dark and stormy night for them. It only thunders when it rains. Why is that, he considered. It was hard enough creating the space, the time, to welcome the moment, to go with the flow of images, transferring them to words, wrestling the meaning of being. Now soaking wet, yes, you only get wet once. He was at one with the world. The creek was flowing, bubbling, gurgling, eddying around smooth rocks, ever flowing. Taking a deep breath, he realized, we can do this. Is there going to be a part four? Hmm? Is there going to be a part four? I don't know. Should there be a part four? <laughs> did I leave you hanging? Yes, you did. Because <laughs> the intent was really to use a darky stormy night in the middle and the beginning at the end, which mm -hmm. I did. So now it's still it's variations on the theme. So yeah, I could do more variations, I'm sure. I just can imagine your wife as you have to sit up, grab your notepad, start <laughs> writing. <laughs> Roll over and write. <laughs> hey, Steve. Hey, gang. Sorry I couldn't be there today. Today, I'm virtual. I'm pre-recorded. But I didn't want the day to go by without contributing something. We're going to take a little break in our show today for a commercial. Placebo Springs Restorative Rejuvenating Waters in a Bottle. Placebo Springs. It's medicinal. It's marginally magic. It's something for the easily suggestible to believe in. Placebo Springs is a clear result of man's imagination, probing the deepest reaches of nature's mythology, working together in close harmony to enhance its perceived value and subtly suggestible crisp taste. Placebo Springs achieves this purest fabrication through its all-natural, unfettered permeation percolation process for a flow as fluid as a fable. That's right. Placebo is pure H2O, my fabulous fluid in a bottle. So, soak up a saga of smooth, sparkling satisfaction. You won't find a more imaginatively embellished bottled water anywhere. Placebo Springs, restorative, rejuvenating waters in a bottle. It's pluralized for your singular satisfaction. Pick up a case and enjoy a placebo today. Your friends and family will embrace your enthusiasm for a placebo warmly in patient understanding. For hale and hearty hydration, 
Drink the dream. Drink Placebo Springs. Just look for the glowing golden glacier on the bottle. Don't think. Just drink Placebo Springs. Restorative, rejuvenating water in a bottle. So thank you all for joining us today here at the Senior Story Hour. Wonderful. And sharing your stories, your writing, and at other times when we create that space, whatever it is, in the night, in the shower, or in the day, we'll have another story to share next time. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.